This is Small Town News. I'm Keith. I'm Neil. I'm George. And I'm Craig. And what we do each session is reread small town newspaper articles from small town newspapers somewhere across the United States. We are reading these articles for the first time. They are provided to us by the wonderfully talented but the woefully underpaid Dr. Saxon. Oh, yeah. From those articles, we might take a character, a situation, maybe just even just a singular word, and we're going to improvise stories around it. We're just trying to make big stories out of small town news. And where are we today? Neil. Galesburg, Illinois. Illinois. And probably the most elaborate and interesting newspaper name we have ever done on this show. Wait, hold on. Before you get to that, look at this cartoon on the email. Did you see that weirdness? No. Yes. Yes. What it's is a, it? It's a, I guess it's a political cartoon. And the caption says, I am sure many people will stop and remember the potato face blind man. And he looks kind of like a clown sitting mm-hmm. down playing an accordion wearing... Pants with patches and Is two that a pails tub? on either side yeah, of two them. Two big pails. Yeah, like imagine Pennywise, but an alien. With a potato face. And a big bow tie. I mean, I, if you are a clown and sat on the street, like don't go through the effort of a bow tie. It's okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a formal it's too player. late. It's too late. Yeah. But the format of this is like a far side cartoon. You got the one panel, the one picture panel, and then you got the, the caption below it. Um, the only thing it's missing, though, is comedy. Right. It's he, actually terrifying. And he is actually yeah. wearing black glasses like a blind man. And uh, playing an accordion. Yes. So he probably is a blind man. I'm sure. But I'm not going to say he's got a potato face. <laughs> Somebody else. Kind of hard to Someone tell. else said that, though. <laughs> it says that in the caption. And, uh, and I don't know. You think the wash tub is like he really thinks a lot of people are going to give him tips? Let's find out. No, let's speculate. (laughs) Or is it to wash his face? Galesburg is located in western Illinois, about 45 miles north of Peoria. With 32,000 residents, the town is pushing my totally arbitrary definition of a small town. But upon seeing that one of its newspapers was simply called The Paper, I knew I couldn't pass the town by. The list of notable people from Galesburg includes Ronald Reagan, who attended second grade in town. But then he was done. Yeah, Whitcomb L. Judson. <laughs> he graduated. He graduated. Yeah, right. like, I'm ready to be president now. <laughs> hey, ready for the movies. Uh, Whitcomb L. Judson, the investor of the clasp locker, better known as the zipper, and Ernest Elmo Calkins, the father of modern advertising, who invented the concept of the soft sell. George Reeves, who played Superman in the 1950s on The Adventures of Superman, also lived in Galesburg. But to keep things rolling, unless, of course, y'all have already had a 20-minute tangent on the opening paragraph, (laughs) almost, uh, we're going to focus on just three locals, Carl Sandburg, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., and Ellen Browning Scripps. Does anybody know those three names at all? Carl Sandberg, Sandberg. Is yeah. awfully familiar. He's a poet, poet. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think he wrote about uh, Chicago, maybe? Yes. The I city of brotherly was, love yeah. might be his. Chicago was his thing, if yeah. I recall correctly. I was thinking of Carl Sagan. Yes. That's different. Space guy. Space yeah. guy. Yeah. What about George Washington Gale Ferris Jr.? He's got a lot of names to not remember. There's a lot going on there, yeah. I I would remember something if I knew that name, because it's just too long. Carl Sandburg's house is in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Is it really? Yeah. It's a really cool little spot. That's where he spent his later years. But it's just like a little secluded farmhouse right across from the Flat Rock Playhouse, essentially. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Ellen Browning Scripps. Scripps is something. What is Scripps? Uh, That's the the book where all the lines are in (laughs) that you read. When you're doing a show, I'm, I'm going to guess that Scripps is a famous person that Jess has told us about once before, and we are going to be upset with ourselves that we have not remembered the great accomplishments of 
Or, or at least Ellen Jess Browning will be okay with us. I'm about to say, upset, she yeah. might be. I'm going to sleep just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Scripps is a brand of something. Scripps. Grits, I think. It was Grits. Scripps. 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 Yeah, prescription was her full Sorry. name. All right. Born and raised in Galesburg, Carl Sandburg is best known as a journalist, poet, folklorist, and Lincoln biographer. He is a three-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize and one of the major writers of the earliest twenty, or excuse me, the early twentieth century. But I first encountered his writing not in literature class, but as a kid through his Rutabaga Stories, a truly weird collection of children's stories that he originally wrote for his own daughters. He envisioned the stories as American fairy tales. The collection was published in 1922 and set in Rutabaga County. Does anybody else feel the potato man cometh? Mm, <laughs> yes. He's the anti-hero of Rutabaga Country. Of course. I mean, if the Rutabaga is going to have a villain, <laughs> it's going to be a potato face man. <laughs> Who's blind just to make it weirder. <laughs> you got to give the Rutabagas a chance. Yeah. <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> so they can Keep sneak going. around the potato man. <laughs> if it isn't obvious, Neil has left the room. <laughs> For those at home who are wondering. Yeah, let's talk about Neil. I don't know. Let's find out. How do you peel a rutabaga? <laughs> Why would you peel a rutabaga? Then you have to eat it. Remind me what a rutabaga is. It's, un- it's not something you want to eat if there's a potato Doesn't around. it look like a sweet potato but tastes not good? <laughs> yeah, so like if you had options, if there was a potato, there's you would a whole never... section in the encyclopedia called "Looks like a potato, but doesn't taste good." And the first <laughs> entry, memory. the first entry is the blind potato-faced man. <laughs> Don't eat him. Looks like a potato, but doesn't taste good. <laughs> guys, 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 Neil's back. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> what yep, the yep, hell happened? Right, get get back gone. to reading. No, no, no we're all the water from breakfast caught up. I had to go. We, we <laughs> everything's we, fine. We're reading about uh, rutabaga country. <laughs> it's cool. We made we made leaps and bounds while you were gone. Yeah, we've already read three paragraphs. I love rutabagas. Now tell us about them. <laughs> They're great. Have you not had rutabagas? Not well, on I mean, purpose. We just can't remember. <laughs> They're marvelous. If a rutabaga walked in the room, I wouldn't know it. Yeah, like put <laughs> and, it in a and would not eat it. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? I mean, I would. I would eat it because it's food. I guess it's like a, it looks like a sweet potato, right? <laughs> I'll eat the food. Uh, it sort of looks like a sweet potato. It's not okay. as orangey. It's a little. It's more yellow. Yeah. Um, so like a yellow, like a rotten sweet potato, like a less attractive, <laughs> no, sweet not like a sweet potato, <laughs> or an unripe sweet potato. No, they're very good. <laughs> Are they sweet? No. So an unsweet potato. <laughs> unsweet. <laughs> What happened? A rotten root vegetable. <laughs> you left. <laughs> you I'm left. Sorry. I'm sorry. The the blind rutabaga face man. How did we go from Sandberg to rutabagas? Because he it, wrote yeah. about he wrote American the fairy tales stories. about rutabagas. It's called rutabaga <laughs> stories. That's how Doctor Jess first encountered his writing as okay. a kid. It's a truly weird collection of children's stories that he originally wrote for his own daughters. He envisioned the stories as American fairy tales. The collection was published in 1922 and set in rutabaga country a magical version of the American Midwest. These stories were also heavily influenced by surrealism and filled with nonsense language. One of the characters is the potato-faced blind man who lives in the village of Liver and Onions and, quote, sits with his accordion on the corner nearest the post office. There he sits with his eyes never looking out and always searching in. And sometimes he finds himself in himself the whole human procession. Jesus. Right. <laughs> Close quote. Um, Jess says his story terrified me. I preferred the character named Wednesday Evening in the Twilight and the Glooming. That's like all capitalized. Her name is Wednesday Evening in the Twilight and the Glooming. She appears. Wait, that's, the, that's the name? That's the name yeah. of the character. Okay. Wednesday Evening in the Twilight and the Glooming. We need to work. Carl Sandberg needs to work on names. <laughs> yeah. Because if you change her name to just an acronym, it's 
Wet G. <laughs> just preferred the character name. Wet I think G. So. Oh my god! I hope you didn't just crack a code. <laughs> well, what's Potato Face Blind Man then? It would be. Oh, BM. <laughs> BM. <laughs> so it's a toot, and then and then the BM. BM. Uh, I prefer- Welcome to the party, <laughs> BM and Wet G. <laughs> Neil's like. I don't know. Maybe the article will tell us. <laughs> Rutabaga. All right. So she appears in, uh, this is the name of the story, How Six Pigeons Came Back to Hat Rack the Horse After Many Accidents and Six Telegrams. That's a title. He needs to work on names of his stories as well. How Six Pigeons Came Back to Hat Rack the Horse After Many Accidents and Six Telegrams. Hat Rack tells his friend, Wiffle the Chick, that, quote, she is an extra special nice pigeon. She cries for pity when she wants pity, and she shuts her eyes when she doesn't want to look at you. And if you look deep in her eyes, when her eyes are open, you will see lights there exactly like the lights on the pastures and the meadows when the mist is drifting on a Wednesday evening just between the twilight and the gloaming. Close the point. way you're reading it aside, like this is like foreboding it stuff. It is. It's creepy yeah. as hell. This is for kids? It's like a Tim Burton kids book. Yeah. When I was in elementary school, Jess, my mom and I would take summer trips to the Sandberg home in Flat Rock, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Bing, Craig, to see short plays based on <laughs> the rutabaga stories and two pet goats. Each time before we leave, my dad pretended to be the ticket agent from another one of the stories and asked me if I would like a ticket to go away and come back or a ticket to go away and never come back. <laughs> Why are you reading it like that? Because it's creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> Imagine being young Jess and her dad asked her, would you like a ticket to go away and come back or a ticket to go away and never come back? This isn't hard for me to imagine. Yeah. I could uh, totally see him saying that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's a whole goat farm there. I want to do the rutabaga stories at Newburn Civic. Apparently, there's a play version of that. I wish you luck. Wouldn't that be creepy? <laughs> don't you want to be in that, Neil? Not really. You don't want to be potato face blind man? You don't no. want to have to remember, uh, welcome to my house Wednesday evening in the twilight and the glooming. <laughs> Wet G. Carl Sandberg wasn't the only Gelsbergian to create something that both delighted and terrified kids. George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., the inventor of the Ferris wheel, lived in Galesburg until the age uh-huh. of five. Of course he did. After yep. settling in Pittsburgh as an adult in the late 19th century, he started his own company to, quote, test and inspect metals for railroads and bridge builders. In 1891, the planners for the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition, better known as the Chicago World's Fair, issued a challenge to American engineers to conceive of a monument for the fair that would surpass the Eiffel Tower. Huh. The Eiffel Tower has been erected in 1889 for the Paris International Exposition and was an engineering marvel. The Chicago planners wanted something original, daring, and unique. But when they saw George's plans for a giant rotating wheel that would allow riders to view the entire fairgrounds, the planners feared for the safety of the riders and those on the ground, Mm -hmm. as they should. (laughs) To this day, they should still continue doing that. I don't like Ferris wheels. However... Endorsements from several reputable companies about the safety of the plan, plus a donation of $400,000 for construction, changed their minds. In, the, in what year? 1891. 1890. $400,000. 1889. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The Ferris wheel had 36 cars. Whoa! Each fitted with 40 revolving chairs and able to accommodate up to 60 people. 
giving a total capacity of 2,160 oh, That is terrifying. Lido. Yeah. Hold on. It had 40 chairs and accommodated 60 people. You got to get there total early to capacity, get a Total capacity, 2,160 people. A Ferris wheel with 2,160 people. That is so many. Oh, the cars each held 60 people. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I don't like it. And of course you don't like it. Nope. <laughs> There's not that many people like on a highway in a couple hours. <laughs> Each day, the wheel carried 38,000 riders on a 20-minute ride that completed two revolutions. By the time the wheel was disassembled in 1906, an estimated 2.5 million people had taken a ride on it. Wow. That's amazing. I want it. <laughs> Ellen Browning Scripps studied science and mathematics uh, not, at Knox College in Galesburg, and in 1859, she graduated with a certificate from the female collegiate department. Knox College was one of the few American colleges to admit women at the time, although its female graduates could only earn certificates, not diplomas or degrees. After college, Ellen joined the family business as a journalist. She and her brother James founded the Detroit Evening News, and she wrote a daily column nicknamed Miss Ellen's Miscellany? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That looks really weird. Uh, that reduced uh, that reduced local and national news to short sound bites. Her column became the model for other journalists in the late 19th century. Later, she and her half-brother, E.W., created America's largest chain of newspapers. This newspaper chain made the siblings millionaires. By the time she died in 1932, Ellen was worth nearly $322 million in today's money. She also gave away millions more in her lifetime. Among her many endowments, she provided funding for the Scripps Oceanographic Institute in 1903, the Scripps Research Institute, and a nonprofit medical research facility in 1924, and Scripps College, a woman's college in Claremont, California, in 1926. She did a lot. I can't think of which one of those I was thinking of. Scripps College. Maybe. Or the newspapers. Yeah, that's a lot for somebody who just got a certificate. Right. Yeah. They should have yeah. given her a diploma, an honorary diploma, yeah. if nothing else. And she was a woman. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can just see Jess's face writing all this in her general annoyance. She was in a situation where she could not get a diploma or degree yeah. for some arbitrary right. bullshit reason. And I'm yeah. assuming she was doing exactly the same stuff as every dude that Probably, was or yeah. probably more, more so. I would say probably more. But maybe... That inspired her to work harder and to go prove them wrong. Maybe, Maybe she wouldn't have done these things had she got a diploma. Perhaps. Well, enjoy your time in Galesburg. So what you're saying is oppression is a good thing. Stop no, it, Keith. Stop it. It's not. But sometimes I'll it's along. Stop it. But maybe sometimes it's the it's the, what's needed from the coal into a diamond. The pressure. Perhaps. Enjoy your time in Galesburg. <laughs> Perhaps not. <laughs> While in town, ponder whether you wish to go away and come back, or wish to go away and never come back. Lindstrom questions quote. Curvy Bridge by John Pulliam. Where were your Tuesday at 10 o'clock? Get in here, Curvy Bridge. We're going to get the story straight. Dick Lindstrom of Lindstrom's TV and Appliances. That's why she picked the article. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, Curvy she just Dick. Search for that. <laughs> yeah, she just doesn't search for Dick yeah. just to get us off on a tangent. Dick Lindstrom of Lindstrom's TV and Appliances, 400 East Main Street, said there seems to be a misconception about his opposition to the Seminary Street overpass curving west to carry traffic onto Kellogg Street. He said some people have the mistaken impression he is part of an organized group. 
I'm a loner, I'm a baby. Donnie. They're giving way too much credit. <laughs> I have no actual support. It's just me. Nobody will side with me. There's a misconception about my opposition. My group is me. Lindstrom laughed during a recent interview. Oh. There are a lot of people who agree with me. I don't meet with people on a weekly or monthly basis to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, people might have the same opinion as me, okay, but I'm a one and only. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. He said he talks informally with a wide variety of people. He's so, like, clearly, I am not organized or part of anything. He said he talks informally with a wide variety of people on a daily basis. A lot of people say they agree with me. I am not a part of your system. <laughs> the biggest thing he tries to convince them to do is, if they agree with him, to contact the mayor or their alderman. We are not a group. But if you agree with me, let's all do the same thing together. What we need I'm not going to do it because I'm not organized. <laughs> we need plausible deniability. All right, so... We all agree the same. We should all do the same thing, but not necessarily at the same time. Yeah. Yes. If you feel as passionate about this as I do, you should go talk to the mayor. Just don't bring my name into right. it. Right. No, no, don't mention me. Don't do it. While we're at it, let's all just like in unison say, we are not a group. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> we, we are, are not, not a group. group. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make a mistake on this, he said. You put millions of and millions of dollars on a bridge, you're stuck with it. That's the way it's going to be. And... It would seem to me they, the city officials, dispute this. I have a difficult time seeing how a curvy bridge can cost less than a straight bridge. <laughs> well, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's more material. It is. Yeah, because you go in a straight yeah. line, that's less material. But you start you know, taking curves and making it all fancy. Probably more engineering. Like It seems <laughs> like anybody could design a straight bridge. No, straight is more expensive. <laughs> Not part of that group. <laughs> Lindstrom expressed concerns about the safety of a bridge that curves, especially during the winter. Obviously, during a period of icy weather, any road will be slick, city engineer Wayne Carl said during an interview at City Hall on Thursday. <laughs> it's I like, just imagine Wayne Carl like walking out of his office, being accosted by this reporter. <laughs> Obviously. We will salt the bridges and the overpasses as well. City Public Works Director Larry Cox said the W.C. Jackson Bridge on the south side of the city is somewhat similar to the recommended alternative for the Seminary Street overpass. The W.C. Jackson Bridge goes from 3rd Street to 4th Street, Cox said. We don't have any more problems there than anywhere else in town. The W.C. Jackson is a steeper grade, Carl said. <laughs> he explained that the Seminary Street overpass will have a 5% grade, making it, quote, a little bit flatter rise on the W.C. Jackson Bridge. The curves are not as tight as they could be. We went with a little bit bigger radius, so it will be smooth driving over there. An added benefit, Carl said, is the removal of a handful of houses whose driveways back onto the railroad tracks. Wait, that's a benefit as we get rid of some people's houses? That's apparently. I hate, uh, I don't know about you, so I'm the only person here who hates houses with driveways onto, onto the railroad tracks. Just me. Just you. Yeah. You're not part of a group. I'm not. But if you agree with me, and don't say that you do, but if you agree with me, let's go burn that house down. That's what that says? No, that's what I'm saying okay, right now. <laughs> you were looking really intently at your phone. I was like, oh, my God. This guy is drunk with power. <laughs> the construction of this project is important because it ties into our quiet zone plans, he said. If we don't do this project, we're not going to be able to do the quiet zone. <laughs> 
Of course, the quiet zones would be possible with either bridge alignment. <laughs> Straight bridges are much quieter than curvy bridges. Well, yeah. Curvy bridges, you've got like buses curvy- going 50 miles an hour trying to. S- curvy bridges know how to go- have a good time. <laughs> it's a party <laughs> time. <laughs> Even when the curves aren't as tight as they used to be. Is that what he said earlier? Is that what you're saying? That's, That's what you're saying. That's in, the- in the article. <laughs> No, that's a, that, no, no, no. We're putting your name on that. No, I'm not, no, I'm not in that group. No, we're not in that group. No, no, no. I don't, I don't uh, you know, put bridges into categories just based on looks. George likes curves even if they're not as tight as they once were. <laughs> Only in the wintertime. <laughs> Throw some salt on it, I guess. The locals will have their say, he said. <laughs> but it has to be a case you can lay it out and show the Seminary Street straight bridge makes more sense. Carl said people cannot be vague but have to be able to back up their assertions with facts and figures. I have He's a presented none. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so the, the bridge has to connect two places. Are those two places in a straight line with each other, or are they? do they require a curve to there's, get there? No, they're side by side. I think Carl is suggesting it goes all the way around planet Earth and right. comes back around again. With slight angle. Yeah. Slight angle to get back here. That doesn't seem like... Anything you'd argue about. You either have to get here to there, and what's the shape oh. it takes to get there? <laughs> Lindstrom is serious about the issue, oh. although he doesn't feel it will hurt his store's business. He has gone so far as to do some research on his own. <laughs> That's <laughs> What good. a novel idea. <laughs> well, what did he research? <laughs> well, quote, I've done a little investigating, and I can't find another city in the Midwest where one street turns into another as influential as these streets are, Lindstrom said. Intentionally running traffic over to another road is quite bizarre. Wait, is what? That what roads like merging? <laughs> like, there's one road. All roads lead to Lindstrom's business. So, I guess. what is his business again? It's Lindstrom's Appliance or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So he's on one road. Yeah, Lindstrom's TV and Appliances. So he's on one road, and they're trying to divert the traffic to another road with a curvy bridge. No, they never said that. Right. He said it won't impact his business at all. He's just like that's because nobody goes to a TV shop anyway. Right, TV yeah. and appliance. That's something you did you know, when you were a kid. You remember TV and appliance stores. But yeah. You're not going to a TV shop. Yeah. Every what, Saturday with my dad. <laughs> I'd hop in the car and go down to TV and appliance. <laughs> right. But who's repairs a, a TV? <laughs> a malt and, and, a, and a VCR head cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the spray liquid stuff you put in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's magical. Yeah, it won't affect his traffic. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> I mean, nobody comes here anyway. Why are you putting a bridge inside my store? Well, don't forget, he 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 believes in this opinion enough to talk about it, but not enough to do anything about it or to establish a group. Yes, he it's doesn't not. want people to help him. He just wants to be on his own. <laughs> so rebel. Why is there an article? <laughs> well, he feels that there are people who agree with him who have not made their feelings known. Yeah, somebody needs to make these opinions known. I'm not going to do it. Don't use my name in this article. Something needs to be done here. I'm not going to. Although, yes, I did call you to do a story on this. I am not organized. I am calling you to be the organized person. Can I quote you on this? No. (laughs) But if you were to write an article, here's what it should say. Yes. Can you just find somebody else who feels this way and then quote them? Lindstrom also thinks that despite this issue having been discussed over the past few years, there are still people who are not paying attention and will be surprised to wake up someday to see the Seminary Street overpass taking traffic to Kellogg Street. 
Wake up. Oh, my God. No, they'll wake up, like, behind the wheel. They'll just be, like, driving, like, how did I end up on Kellogg Street? Oh, no. I'm trying to take my son to the TV and appliance store to get a VCR head cleaner. (laughs) All right. Well, we've made it this far. Last paragraph. Let's hear it. If people agree that this is, in fact, a very strange construction plan, I ask that they would contact the mayor and contact the city council people and express their concern as well. Lindstrom said, I think a lot of people I've talked to on this have reservations, but are reluctant to speak up. End of story. Again, we're not a group, but I've talked to a lot of people who agree with what I'm saying. I love this. This man has a fiery passion, but not enough to commit in any way, shape or form to even stating that it's his passion. I read the story, and I'm still not sure. Did he want a straight road or a curved road? <laughs> I don't know. Straight. Yeah, he I think straight. he wants okay. straight. He, he wants whatever he has now, right? doesn't want change. But if you're crossing presumably a body of water, isn't the street going to change anyway? Yeah, it's not like his shop's on an island. I mean, it doesn't currently connect? Is that <laughs> the, the idea? That's the problem. That's the whole problem. His <laughs> shop's on an island. <laughs> <laughs> and they're finally building a bridge, but they're not coming to my island. They're going they're around to Kellogg's right going around my island. <laughs> They're going to put the platforms that hold up the bridge on outside of his business, either side of his island business. Don't you remember loading up with your dad in the dinghy and going to the TV and appliance store? Every Saturday morning. (laughs) All right, here's the next one. This one is from the archives, Hot Dogs and Hungry Dogs by Patty Mosher. Back in 1935, in the depths of the Great Depression, many people with low-paying jobs or no jobs at all saw their wallets grow thinner and their budgets get tighter. Usually, the first to feel the consequences were family pets. Many of them went hungry and ate whatever they could find, usually from garbage cans. But Galesburg Dogs had a friend who understood, the man who cooked the hot dogs at Coney Island Restaurant. That gentleman is not named, but he was described as, quote, the jovial maestro of the glowing ranges, close quote. He knew that the scraps. I, I, I say that. <laughs> say that one more time. The jovial maestro of the glowing ranges. He sounds like a character from Rutabaga Country. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he knew that the scraps customers left behind would be a feast for the hungry dogs who wandered around town, scrounging for some small morsel. He began this one-man crusade by calling to a dog, sniffing around the back alley of the restaurant. It must have smelled that wonderful aroma wafting through the opened back door, and soon the cook had a friend. It didn't take long before that first dog brought his friends, and soon dogs big and small of every variety were waiting outside for the proffered canine cuisine. The cook knew his special customers were making a visit when he would hear a little scratch or a whine at the back door, and sometimes a polite bark as if to say, here I am. The visitors never had to wait long for the cook to gather up something for them. Many of the dogs had been scrawny looking when they first appeared, but they soon beefed up on a diet of leftover franks and whatever else was on the menu that day. It was said that when the dogs saw the Frankfurter chef coming, their tails would be, quote, a quiver in delicious anticipation. (laughs) And their bosoms heaved. (laughs) And happily galloped over to greet him. And the cook got paid for his generosity as well, not with money, but with wagging tails and affection. Occasionally, a regular customer would stop coming, and the cook would ask acquaintances if they had seen the little black dog or the big brown shepherd that used to visit him. What, by acquaintances, was he asking the other dogs? I think he must have. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't answered with English words, but with 
questioning faces and Pol- polite, polite barks. barks. Yeah. Yes, polite <laughs> barks. <laughs> but the chef had another pair of best friends that went missing, friends that weren't dogs. A pair of robins arrived one early spring day, and they also discovered the cook's love for animals. They became daily callers and gradually became sociable enough to hop inside the door and eat their meals on the floor. Why are you making it creepy? <laughs> it's, like, it's taking a like dark turn. End, and then the robins grew much larger than the dogs and devoured them. <laughs> well, no, like the way – so he's reading this. I, I don't know if it's the way this was written or the way George is reading it, but I just – I keep thinking about like wasn't Charles Dickens like a newspaper author? Before he wrote books, he writes serials. Maybe, maybe I guess maybe. it was that's yeah. what I'm thinking. If he wrote the serials, but I'm just I'm just thinking about like you know you have all these like in this world of accomplished authors and they're all working together on a newspaper because I'm just picturing this is very Dickens esque to me. Maybe it's the way you're reading it. Well, keep going. Let's see. No doubt their young chicks also enjoyed <laughs> some of this bounty, but come late summer, they were gone, and the cook had high hopes they would come back again in the spring, but unfortunately. History does not record if the Robins came back again. End of story. <laughs> what do we think? What happened with to the Robins? all of that? That's how they ended that story. Yeah, they they tried to make it dramatic because they they started that with the chef had another pair of best friends that went missing, friends that weren't dogs. And you're like, okay, well his friends died. He's he's a widower. It's two Robins that came in and ate hot dogs during one spring. And then decided they weren't coming back because birds aren't supposed to eat hot dogs. I don't think dogs are either. <laughs> <laughs> or humans for that matter. Yeah, right? it's also true. The depression was a rough time. You had the potato face man hanging out of the corner with his wash pan. I bet they ate a lot of rutabagas. All right. We cut to the Literary Gazette newspaper office. The editor-in-chief is uh, sitting at a roundtable discussing the latest newspaper edition with all of his staff writers who are all incredibly accomplished authors in their own rights. Okay, everybody. So we're going to press in about an hour here. We really got to get this thing together here. I know that all of you are not used to working on such tight deadlines, but we have really got to get this together. There's a lot of news happening in this town today. Uh, Charles Dickens, um, what have you got on that uh, fire story in Main Street? Uh, so mostly orphans. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I've been writing some stories about orphans, uh, mostly it was in an orphanage that burnt down. No, no, no. But there's probably some. There's probably kids around there somewhere, right? Some of them don't have parents. Okay. What I'm thinking is there's a story about one orphan in particular, and he's walking by the the fire, and and he's he's didn't start the fire because he's not that kind of guy. Okay, Charles. He's walking by and he's he's got his last farthing in his hand. Okay, Charles. And what, it, what is your source? No, in no. All he of also this? has an address of his rich uncle, and the only way he can make it there to have a nice, happy life is to follow this address. Okay. And the paper flies out into the fire. Okay, Charles. Oh. Charles. Charles. Who, who, what is your source? Who did you talk to on this on this fire situation? Oh, um. Yeah, so this all came out of my head. This is just a. No, no, I'm going to serialize Charles, it though. This is not how the newspaper works. There are real stories Chief, out there. I assigned Chief, you the fire on Main Chief, Street. What? I've been, I've been working with my friend Mark Twain on this. Mark, damn it. You're, you're not supposed to be working the fire. He's in story. town from New York. No, that new bakery is opening on 5th. What have you found out about the new bakery, Mark Twain? Yeah, bakery? I've been writing about a frog. A frog? Yeah. Wait, yeah, frogs. Are they like making a frog like dessert? Like nah, it's a, a jumping frog. What I just I'm story? just playing around with ideas. 
No, 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 no. Okay, guys, guys. I thought we'd we got over this. You said we got to fill columns. I mean, jump in. Oh, I, I can fill columns. I mean, you know me as Carl Sandburg, the uh, famous playwright and uh, poet. Uh, if you need to fill some column inches, I can tell you my story about. Wait, now, Carl, you're not supposed to be writing stories. You're working on the horoscopes. Oh, yes. Well, I've, I've been doing that all morning. Okay, well, uh, what do you have for Sagittarius? Okay, great. So, the one who was born in the sunlight over the moon rising on the dawn of tomorrow's day would see a clear rise coming about in the dumpster heap found beneath the bosom skirts. Beautiful. What? I don't even understand what that was. Was that a complete sentence? No, bosom skirts. Is your name Miss Havisham? Oh, God, shut up, Charles. You love all the made-up words. No, Sandberg, when we want a horse, we want something like, hey, you know, you're going to have a good day, but, you know, watch out for the naysayers. You know, something Well, no, that, that horoscope was just for one specific person. You wanted something more generic. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Was Carl, that for Carl, Tom or Huck? Tom or Huck? No, no. Which one no. was that for? No, no. What, what I think we need to do, Carl, can you tell the chief his horoscope? Well, Chief, yeah, or as, as we call you around the newsroom, Weird. smelly, tall, short man who has inward lookings and ink-stained palms walks about on his back legs when he really should be standing on fingers. All right, Carl, we're going to have a very serious discussion later, but I don't have time. We go to press in an hour. Wait, uh, you don't want to know your horoscope? It might tell your future. Oh, my God, no. I just want to get a newspaper to press. Uh, Poe, um, Edgar, uh, can yes. you at le- do you at least have the weather report ready? Not really. I've been writing about this bird. <laughs> I mean, well, birds can often you know, lead us to knowledge about what the weather's happening. When bad weather's coming, uh, birds tend to migrate elsewhere. Never uh, more. I, I personally, Never more. Oh, God. I prefer serving up a platter of sliced up frankfurter dogs and giving them to my birds as they sit on the windowsill, often known as a rotted plank that sits beneath the glass house homes. Oh, I've been working on that. Tale of two finchies. Okay, okay. Oh, this is an absolute nightmare. Um, uh, Stephen King, do you at least have the community happenings prepared for us? Well, I do, but it's rather bleak. What I've done is I've taken the uh, obituaries and I've gone no, through the phone no, book and no, I've crossed no, out King, names. No, King, and you I do not like have the obituaries. It. I would like to. No, I'm going to publish it as community happenings. I want to publish the deaths again, but I want to highlight the failings of each individual person. And there will be clowns. <laughs> King, I just, I, all, all I, we don't even have a circus in town. All no, wanted, no, no, we don't, but we have clowns. The ladies' auxiliary is having a bake sale. You just need to tell people when and where. No, I'm aware of the ladies' auxiliary bake sale. I'm just not aware of all the ingredients, if you know what I mean. I'm thinking about writing a recipe list for Brown Betty, and I think it might include Betty. No, 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 nothing about Brown Betty. You're getting in on my stuff now. Okay, Sandberg, whoa, cool it. I don't want to have to settle things between y'all again. Okay, well, geez, not that we've gotten anything accomplished here. I think the last thing on my agenda here, uh, sports. Uh, Mr. Oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Seuss. Um, what have you got for us? Oh, well, if you want to bowl and find yourself in a hole that you can fall in a pen and they'll see it again, because if you have a red ring that goes around your neck, well, then you'll fall down and say, oh, man, heck, you won't get a strike. You'll want to be a kid riding on a trike and find yourself playing with a friend named Mike. But Mike is no friend. He is a big end that comes to the place of your height. Finally, everybody take a page from the doctor, the good Dr. Seuss.
God. All right. Print it up. Here we go. The rest of you, get your asses in gear. Ass kissing bastard. <laughs> Just another day at the paper. <laughs> uh, History Train celebrates Amtrak anniversary by Charlie Gorney. Galesburg Mayor Salvador Garza had to wait for a passing train to address the crowd. Over the din of the train horns in the distance, Garza, along with Chairman of the Amtrak Board of Directors Thomas Carper of Maycomb and the state legislators spoke Saturday morning during the Galesburg ribbon-cutting ceremony for the Amtrak 40th anniversary exhibit train. The exhibit, which is on display this weekend at Galesburg Amtrak Depot, is a sort of traveling museum of passenger rail in the United States. But the air surrounding the ceremony was as much about Amtrak's present state as its history. Oh. This solidifies Galesburg as a true railroad community with passenger rail, Garza said after the ceremony. A lot of people come to Galesburg and take advantage of the rail service, which is increasing. Carper affirmed that notion that the use of passenger rail is increasing as he informed the crowd of about 50 people that Amtrak is having a record-breaking year and it's on track to serve its 30 millionth passenger of the year next week. Cut to that presentation. Mayor Salvador Garza is taking a pause to recognize a noted figure in the railway lore. <laughs> I'd like to welcome to the platform now someone who came here all the way from St. Louis today, riding on this here train. Hobo Jim? Well, hey, uh, uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, uh, I feel honored. I'm not used to speaking to large crowds. Normally, I'm, I'm a bit of a loner. We appreciate you coming. Uh, you want to tell a little history about uh, riding the rails there, Jim? Oh, well, sure, yeah. So uh, after my wife left me and my kids left me and my dog left me for this guy that fed him a bunch of hot dogs, I found myself alone and there was really nowhere to go except for beyond. And I found myself walking around and I got hit by a train. You got but, hit by a train? But not real hard, just kind of light-like. And I thought, well, that's the kind of contact that a hobo enjoys and so the train was just starting to pick up some speed and i grabbed a hold on to it and i hopped in there and i found myself learning about the world learning about how people come together and how to cook beans while in transit and that was really where i started to grow as a person so it's more like a food truck yes it was really more of like uh, I wanted to start my own business as a as a food truck entrepreneur, but then I had to deal with people on a daily basis, and most people were not real happy to have my beans. They didn't want your beans? My beans were, uh, well, there's a special kind of way you cook your beans when you're a hobo. Friction. Friction? You use friction to cook your beans. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Well, yeah, you don't, you, don't always, you don't always have ways to access heat and flames. And so, well, you, you open up your tin of beans and you, you stick your finger in your mouth and get your finger up to mouth temperature, which I think is like 90-something. And then you stick it into the bean can and you stir it all around. Sometimes you cut yourself open. Jim, I don't want to give away too many of your secrets uh, recipes, but why is everybody looking at me like this? Why is everybody looking at me like this? We brought you here today. To this give is you, why I don't like crowds. We, we, we're giving you the key to the city and we're a place here in Galesburg. What? We'd like you to settle down in Galesburg, maybe with your beans. Whoa, uh, a home? A home. Cut it's to Jim's Bean Shop. Ding ding. Hey, uh, how's hi, it going? Hey, uh, how, how are you doing? Good. First day, I saw the ribbon cutting uh, in, in the paper yesterday. You guys opened today. It just, yeah, uh, they, they gave me this 
train car and a bunch of cans of beans and said, food truck it up, Hobo Joe. So here I go. Well, I'm, I'm here. Like, where's the menu? Oh, uh, here you go. Uh, it's an okay, index it card. Beans. 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 You want them, uh, you want them hobo chip style or? Yeah, I'll, I'll take them gym style. It's fine. Really? Yeah. All right. You, you seem like you don't want to serve them that way. No, no, That's no. It's not giving me a ton of confidence here. No, no. I I definitely want to serve them that way. The, I mean, I've, I've grown to appreciate the friction time I have in a day. So let me. Uh, friction time? Friction time. That's what I call it. <laughs> we got to. Time. Well, I can't guarantee it's not going to come back. <laughs> However, for right now, we're cutting to uh, the uh, the offices of a uh, Samuel Fulcher. He is uh, the publicist and manager for Hobo Jim and the Hobo Jim Enterprises. Now, 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 Jim, I, I know that the, the the bean shop is really picking up. Yeah. Okay? Where, where can I put down my bindle? Especially, oh, your bindle, well, yeah, you can put down wherever you want in this town, okay. Jim. I'll tell you that right now. Especially now that we've, you know, gotten your friction hours all squared away and we know not to open shop during that time. But I think we need to focus on other avenues here, Jim. Yeah, okay. Like, for example, I can't help but notice you're wearing some makeshift, I guess, like shoe type things here. They don't look like normal shoes. What is it you're wearing on your feet there, Jim? Those are sacks. Sacks. Yes. Tell me sex. about your 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 foot sacks. Yeah. So burlap wears out real fast. Okay. But I had a bag of Fritos once. Oh. And they were delicious. And I also noticed that they kind of smell like my feet. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, well, let me get this big bag of Fritos, slip it over my my, my Frito feet, and then tie it up with like a little bit of rope. And now I got Frito feet f- shoes. So so how long do those typically last? Well, the Fritos or the shoes. I guess both? Well, it depends, because sometimes I forget that there's a Frito in the bag after oh. I've made them into shoes, and then I will undo the, the twine to take the bag off and have those last bits of Fritos and put it back on. Okay. When that happens, it does tend to increase the wear and tear of the Frito bag, but I'd say on average about three months. Okay, well, don't you worry about misplaced Fritos. That's what I, your, ban- your manager, are here for. Okay, I think we need to get into the gym shoe business right here. Gym shoes? Gym shoes, yeah. All right. Gym shoes. Give me some Fritos and let, let's make this happen. There's going to be some friction, though. The fri- Damn it. Like the same type of friction? No, this is different friction. This is foot friction. God, okay. I'll Cut st- to the shoe store. Dilling. <laughs> uh, yes, how can I help you? Are, you? are you interested in the hobo gym shoes? Well, I, yeah, I really am. I mean, That's uh, what we sell. Well, that, the that's the hot ticket for this Christmas. That's well, you know, I was hoping to get get pairs for everybody in the family. Oh well, okay. So you're looking. Uh, what size you got there? You might be looking at a family size. Got some big big feet. Ten, ten and a half. Yeah, okay. just depends can, on the shoe. We can fit that. We got enough twine. And then let's see how, <laughs> how old are your twine. We have lots of twine. Okay, yeah, that's what that's, I thought you said. That's how we we want to customize it to your ankle. Well, uh, what size are your children? <laughs> What size of their feet, rather? How old are your kids? <laughs> you you seem confused by your own. Um, I just so, want, look, I ain't got but so many family size bags. I'm hoping some of them so are snack size. So I've got a toddler. Okay, it, work. It'd be, be three in March, and then a, an eight year old. I don't know about the toddler. Is the, the toddler is walking? Yeah, well, oh. stumbling. You know, it's a toddler. I mean, that's good. These these shoes require a certain amount of friction, and that means walking. Okay. Well, we yeah that that'll that'll work. You're gonna have to grind these Fritos down to dust like a fine powder. Fritos? That's how it fits to the Frito bag, sir. These are hobo gym shoes. Yeah, I, okay. I'm aware of that. Well, you got um, you got to grind the Fritos to a fine powder, and sometimes you finish the Fritos after you've broken in the shoes. Sometimes you won't. So, so you leave the Fritos in the shoes while 
Hobo Jim wasn't all that specific. Did somebody say Hobo Jim? Here I am. Hey, are you worried about what to do with those Fritos? Don't worry. Sometimes the fit's not right. If you find that the the Frito shoes are a little too tight, the Hobo Jim shoes, what you do is you undo that twine, dump out a little bit of that Frito dust into my mouth, and then we'll and because I just like the taste, and then we'll tie them back up, and put them on, and see if they fit better. If they're still too tight, uh, we'll okay. dump some more Frito so dust custom, in my mouth. Custom fit. That's what I'm hearing. Custom fit by Custom Jim Hobo Jim <laughs> shoes. <laughs> we cut back to the now thriving Hobo Jim Enterprises headquarters. <laughs> Uh, Samuel, the uh, publicist and manager, is talking with Jim. Now, Jim, this is blown up. I got to tell you, I beans, never thought my life would turn out like the this. The shoes, but there's a new market we got to get into. Oh, yeah? Dude. Oh, yeah. No, we need to get into uh, children's toys and dolls, specifically. Uh, we, You are the face of this industry. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, I don't want to say Tickle Me Elmo, but, like, I don't know, something like that. With a gym, like a gym, hobo gym plush doll. I mean, or I could just go around. You could just send me around, put me on the rails and send me places and, and no, let people no, we like, need, we poke need me in the stomach and I'll do my, my signature gym laugh. No, no, well, well, okay, well, wait a minute. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking because there's not enough of you to go around, okay? We need enough of you to go around. So we're just going to have you record a couple of like catchphrases and maybe that famous laugh of yours. Okay, and yeah. We'll, you know, put it in a voice chip inside the doll, you know? I can do that. Okay, All right, cool. Sure. Well, I got my recorder right here. So uh, just um, let's save the laugh for last, okay? Because I know right. it really takes it out of you. But let's just get a couple of like, uh, some classic Hobo Jim sayings, okay, whenever you're ready. Yeah, you can touch that bean. <laughs> All right, that was perfect. That was good and clean. Okay, uh, maybe, maybe something about friction because people know you for friction. Oh, yeah. oh that's not hot enough yet. You're going to need to put a little bit more into the back to get that friction going. Right at a good cooking cook, 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 cook temperature. Oh, okay, that, that was a bit long. We had a bit of a start at the end there, uh, but uh, we'll see if the boys can make that work. Okay. Um, oh, you want more about friction then? No, 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 no. I think that was just enough about friction there. But uh, how about something maybe like a, a maybe for like for the women folk there who kind of got a thing for Hobo Jam? Let's hear a little something. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, that's not exactly a Frito. <laughs> okay. Cut, cut to two months later. A hobo Jim is um, parking his car and walking into his mansion, and someone approaches him from the street. Oh, Jim. Oh, hi. You remember me. What? Hobo Kevin. Kevin. You've changed, Jim. What? No. You look at you. You live in this house, don't you? Well. You pulled up here in that car of your own volition? You probably even have the key. I got a key to the whole city. You've changed. No, man. Oh, you mean all your old hobo friends. We miss you on the rails. You put down roots. You became a city folk. You got dolls that say things like you when you push them in the tummy. How do you know about my dolls? Oh, my grandkid sent me a video one. It says, there's a Frito in my boot. Sometimes a man just wants to put down roots and, and crunch up Fritos in the same place. And, you know, it's hard carrying around that friction pail everywhere. It's nice to just have oh, it in one closet. you're talking to the man who came up with a friction pail, Jim. You didn't come up with a friction pail. You walked in on me with my friction pail. I have original footage of it, though. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm Samuel Fulcher. I am Hobo Jim's manager. And doorman, apparently. And doorman. <laughs> so, is what I'm hearing correct here? Are you the originator of the friction pail? Well, I didn't start out as a friction pail. I started out just as my pail. And then Jim got a hold of it one night, late in the boxcar. And I woke up hearing a sound I hadn't heard before. And my pail from Mint's on was known as friction pail. 
It As makes, opposed to just my pale. If you had to imitate that sound, what would it be? Jim, you remember what it sounded like. Well, yeah, I mean, the I'll sound play of, the the pale, of the pail. You play it, the part of the gym. Well, the, the sound of well, the pail. I'm not sure what's happening anymore here. The sound I'm, of the pail was, was kind of like if you had like a really thin tin galvanized bucket. And that then I used ha- to poop in. Yeah. So um, it's got like a little bit of poop in it. Like just like residue, like crusties. And then you get like a handful of like bolts and then like a handful of beans. Beans. Well, um, that's a given, right? And then like one little chick. Like it hatched. Like a you had like an egg and a chicken? Yeah. A live baby chicken? Yeah, you had an egg and it, it yeah, well, you didn't Call need her it. Beatrice. Her name was Beatrice. Beatrice the chick. And you what threw it the in there. Hell? And then if you if you shook that pail up huh? with enough friction, and yeah. then you really get your back into it. And then every time every once in a while, yeah, I mean I might make some noises when I'm getting into it, but that's necessary to get a good batch. All right, we cut to a press conference with Samuel Fulcher. <laughs> All right, guys, I've I've made a nice bit of money and I've built a a nice business with Hobo Jam (laughs) in regards to hobo life and hobo accessories. But recently, my eyes have been opened (laughs) and the ways of the hobo, it's truly not something that I believe in anymore. And if there's somebody else out there who feels just as passionate as I once was about the hobo life, I'd really like for them to the stand up and and take over this business because this is not what i'm about anymore would anybody like to take over managing hobo jim <laughs> you can't back down no no you don't understand i, you I just put some more friction in the pail no that, that's the problem i've learned I what mean put, the pail. i've learned what the friction in the pail is i i can't i can't in good conscience continue down this path of business and i'm a fairly corrupt business person and publicist it's it's too much. There's a live chicken involved. <laughs> it's not. I don't... Call her Beatrice. That was her name. Oh, God. It, it's a lot easier if you just listen to the recorded Jim laugh while you hear the friction rolling around. I, I, you know, I got to be really honest. It really provides a little God, bit of. God, I love that laugh. I could really use a pick-me-up right about now, Hobo Jim. Could, could you give me one of your famous Hobo Jim laughs? Oh, I don't know if I <laughs> <laughs> now imagine that with a pail. Imagine the scene ended. Yes, yes please. Yes, <laughs> Imagine yes. Keith all but said, get me out of this. And we all yeah. said, nope. You <laughs> <laughs> can't back out. <laughs> you don't understand. I've seen and heard things. <laughs> things that should only happen in the back of box cars. I did yes. not mean to bring this to the mainstream. <laughs> It was all fun and games and Frito bags. <laughs> but then the whole point of friction became more and more clear. I don't, I don't know how that happened. That was that, that went some places. I do. George, that's how it happened. I see, I kind of zonked out during the little bit of the article that was read. So when the season, I was like, I don't know what we're doing. No, I still don't know what we're doing. I, I don't know what we did. <laughs> Style Greenery Key to Great Holiday Displays by Mary Carol Garrity. Are you ready to create some lovely holiday displays this year? 
before you pull out the tree ornaments, the sparkly reindeer figurines, or the spools of holiday ribbon, first, grab the greens. Great greens are the key to its success for every holiday display, whether simple or over the top. Today's faux greens are so lifelike, you almost have to touch them to tell they're not real. Maybe it's my southern upbringing, but when y'all hear greens, y- y'all think about vegetables, Colors, right? Collard yeah. greens, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We're decorating okay. the house with collard greens. I- yeah. That's- but, but, but actually, some of those greens, those fake greens, feel real when I touch them, because I don't really know what plants feel like. Like, is that one, a, is that one real? I don't know what plants feel like. <laughs> who, who goes around there's feeling so trees? Much, uh, wait, no, no. There's so much to unpack with that sentence. Who does that? Do you walk around a forest feeling trees? Yeah. Yeah. When but I'm walking... When? What? When I'm in a forest. You feel the trees. <laughs> Neil yeah. with me. Neil doesn't feel the trees. Well, I mean, like, you know, you're like, like, there's a, like I'll, I'll, I'll brush my hands. You're rubbing through. on trees? I'm not rubbing on trees. I'm not trying to create <laughs> friction. Okay. I'm just like, you know, you're walking along, and it's like, you know, I just got to brush my, my hand along the plants that are beside or okay. whatever. So that plant right there in the corner, is that real or not? Not. It's not real. That one doesn't look good. How about the one behind it, you? Actually, it doesn't look good. You should probably get rid of that plant. <laughs> like the sun has started to turn it's it a little bit. It's fooling no one. Has, yeah. Nobody wants to rub it. All right, what about the one behind you, Keith? I don't think that's real. I think those it's are not. real. Well, give it a rub. <laughs> no, make George give it a rub because he can't tell the difference. I don't him. do okay. that. I don't know. I, I just know. rubbed the plant. I got my answer. Do you, do you want to chime in before I... Did you have the flower or the plant? You I should see George eat a salad. <laughs> I don't know what fla- salad is. This feel artificial like? roughage. Yeah. He picks up a tomato and holds it to his ear to see if he can hear it Shakes ripening. It. <laughs> you hear the seashore. Yeah. Cut to George at the salad bar. <laughs> Wait, so you think this, this plant behind me is real? So touch one of the leaves. Like rub the leaf between your fingers. <laughs> it's Are been you... here since we started, so I'm pretty certain it's not real. No, okay. it's just new today, isn't it? I don't, I don't think so. No, I've never there. seen it before. I feel like, like I have. Like something that was a But I touched piece. one plant. So are you believing that some are real and some are fake? Like the leaves I are real? I think that probably happens. I think it's probably... Name something, even if by <laughs> color, that you think is fake. Okay, so here's the thing. I think it's more expensive to buy real flowers, but it's really cheap to buy fake branches. So I think they're probably real branches, but fake flowers. Right? You want my answer? Have you rubbed a leaf? Um, Wait, do you want me to rub a leaf or a, or a stick? What, what are you asking for right now? <laughs> Whichever one has no the most stick friction. Rubbing. No stick rubbing. <laughs> yeah, rub not stick that kind of friction. friction. I've rubbed a stick. You want me to rub a leaf now? Yeah, rub a leaf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's really funny because I've rubbed like three or four things on this plant now. My answer's the same for all of them. <laughs> They're all real? It's a fake-ass plant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe you. I just can't tell by looking at it. Can think... you tell it's fake? Yeah. I live in the natural world. I have seen plants. <laughs> yeah, like, the, like whatever plastic. This, this thing is in the corner looks well, more real than that, and that doesn't look it's real. It's a little too green, isn't it? Depends on which leaf you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The, a lot of them have been bleached by the sun. What yeah. about the, the uh, root trunk? The trunk of it. <laughs> the big root. The, the top root. The top root. <laughs> the top part of the root system. The tall also root. Also known as the trunk. You ever walk through a forest of really tall roots? <laughs> you ever rubbed on those roots, Craig? You're a root hugger. (laughs) More than a few of my friends and customers have confided to me that they dread the idea of holiday decorating because they are convinced it will take forever. I forgot this was about Christmas. (laughs) You're getting off easy right now, George. Well, like poinsettias. You can usually tell if a poinsettia is fake because they have like gold glitter on it or something. Or there's a dead cat next to it. (laughs) Oh, they poison cats. Yes. Yeah. Oh. 
I'm, that's a good reason not to have them. It is. That's why a lot of people have fake poinsettias. Or poinsettias? Nope. Take it's one it. of the two. Probably poinsettia because that sounds more fancy. That's when I tell them about my time-saving secret weapon. Faux evergreens. If you haven't already, invest in oh, some garlic. Oh, like you would know the difference, George. <laughs> I would not. But then I was fooling you guys, apparently. Tree rubbers. I see right through it. Tree, tree rubbers? rubbers. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, rubber tree, tree rubber. <laughs> you know the Lorax is not real, right? Oh, yeah. It's okay, just making sure. How did we get here? What's going on? I don't Christmas. Know. Merry Christmas. small town news. You've just tolerated another episode of Small Town News, a production of Small Town News, LLC. Today's episode of Small Town News was inspired by The Paper of Galesburg, Illinois, and stories written by Aaron Fry, John Pulliam, Patty Mosher, Les O'Dell, Charlie Gorney, and Mary Carol Garrity. Episodes are performed and produced by Keith Boyd, George Oliver, Neil Oliver, and Craig Ramey. Research by Dr. Jessica Saxon. Music performed by George Oliver. This episode was recorded in the historic Clark's Drugstore Building in beautiful downtown Newburn, North Carolina. Small Town News is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Facebook Podcasts, and your grandmother's gramophone. Like what you hear? Leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos, exclusive updates, and opportunities to share your favorite small town news. Thanks for joining us. And remember, if you really want to get where you're going, you're going to need to put a lot of friction on that bean. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Hobo Jim Marital Aids coming this fall. So does rutabaga have like a skin that you have to remove? Right. Do you peel it? Yeah, you should. And then you have to cube it before you cut it. So it's like a potato with skin. (laughs) It, it is a tuber, I would suppose. Oh, so it's not like a potato. I'm sorry. I wasn't looking for information. I was just trying to annoy Neil. <laughs> My apologies. That backfired. <laughs> yeah, didn't it? <laughs> now well, I you, know things. So do you want to leave the rutabaga conversation or leave the rutabaga conversation forever and never come back? <laughs> it's going to be our new series, Rutabagas, and their many uses. While we're at it, let's all just like in unison say, we are not a group. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> we, we are, are not, not a group. group. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.